We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, guys? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. Your host, Jake Burns. It is your Tuesday, May 9th edition. For today, we continue our draft introduction series, which uh, we'll hit on uh, several prospects that we haven't talked about so far. If you missed, we talked all three Ohio State prospects with Bill Landis last week, Dewan Jones, Luke Whipler, Ronnie Hickman, and then obviously uh, spent time on Cedric Tillman and Sayaki Ika in that one as well. Today, we're going to talk Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Going to talk a little bit of Northwestern, Cameron Mitchell. And then lastly, undrafted free agent out of Utah, Mahmoud Diabate. So those are the three guys today. I still have to get interviews on Lonnie Phelps, the UDFA edge out of out of, uh, out of Kansas, and then have an uh, interview scheduled for tomorrow for some information on Isaiah McGuire. So check in on that. We'll be finishing all of these, as we always do. Trying to add a little bit more flavor in on the UDFA side so we have a better feeling about those guys. So... Anyway, nothing really going on in the Cleveland Browns world on Monday. A couple former Browns out finding new jobs. Steven Carlson lands with the Bears. I think Chris Hubbard visited the Colts. I'm not sure if that signing happened. The biggest news of all is this five Cleveland Browns dog logo finalists. And man, I'm telling you, I cannot, I really can't believe they've decided to let fans put together photos for this. Like I am really uh, troubled by the fact, like these five are, I don't really have one that I like, and uh, uh, I don't know what's up with all the spike collars. Like I, I don't know. I I think it's the weirdest thing to let fans submit them and then pick them off of that. Maybe you disagree with me, which is totally fine. But I just think you're opening yourself up for some some really poor results, and I don't think I see one that I would ever buy with a piece of clothing with that animation on it, and. Not that the like cartoon dog one is great right now, but it's at least, in my opinion, semi-respectable. These are really strange uh, overall, and uh, like I said, hope they don't. Uh, maybe they'll scrap the idea uh, as it as it wears in, but they're pretty committed to the bit, so maybe not. It's it's, it's certainly not ideal in my opinion, but uh, it seems like between the elf logo, the helmet logo, and 
the dog logo. It's uh, something that divides the fan base uh, plenty, as we saw with the elf at midfield last year. Uh, I just prefer not to think all too much about it. But we're going to see one of these, I guess, win this competition, and maybe it'll be on clothing arriving at your doorstep before you know it, which is uh, unfortunate because I think it's pretty terrible. Anyway, we are going to start our series here where we go through, again, draft introduction series. Uh, we have first up is Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Okay, this one, pick 140. I have to warn you ahead of time uh, on this one. It's the worst audio quality I have, so I apologize. I thought I was recording from my side with my microphone and my computer, but I actually ended up recording with both of us on a cell phone, which is... Not great with me and Ben Bolch, uh, which Ben does a great job. He's the LA Times UCLA beat writer and has come on with us. With, we did Dimitri Felton's interview uh, a couple seasons ago, and he gives good insights here in DTR's story career there at UCLA. So, again, audio quality sucks. I apologize, but nonetheless, a pretty good interview. So let's get over to that right now. So the Browns decided to go out to UCLA once again. Two, well, not two years in a row, but they've uh... – They've, they've gone out there uh, enough now that we have connected with somebody who I think we're going to connect with uh, perhaps in the future here. Ben Bolch is the uh, UCLA football beat writer for the LA Times. Ben, thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. So let's talk Dorian Thompson-Robinson. He is, I'm sure, as you've been around, he's been around. He's been there since 2018, 1,359 attempts. Uh, I'm interested. He comes in. He's a very decorated prospect, obviously, coming in from, from Bishop Gorman and He's seen a lot, right? He's seen a lot in that program. So, so talk a little bit, if you can, about some of the, you know, the the arrival of of Dorian, where he is, you know, this this lauded recruit, and he starts and he plays right away. I'm sure there's a pretty a pretty good factor of knowing the young man. Yeah, it feels like he's been around uh, since the Obama administration. <laughs> you know, I basically feel like I've seen him grown up. I actually went out to see him when he was in high school to do a feature on him my uh, senior year of high school when UCLA had a bye week. Uh, so I literally have seen this young man grow up, and it's been a very impressive uh, growth from him um, from from who he was the day he stepped on campus. He was, you know, quite a bit nervous and, uh, you know, thrust into big-time college football and only his real – really his second year as a full-time quarterback. And it was interesting because he, you know, he actually lost the job uh, to Wilton State. It was a graduate transfer from Michigan. And everybody's like, okay, well, you know, DTR is not going to play till next year, so we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. Well, the second quarter of the first game of the Chip Kelly era against Cincinnati, Wilton Spate takes a hit, goes down with a back injury, and I'll, I'll never forget, on the field, trots DTR, and he gets a nice ovation from the crowd. And I won't say he never looked back because he did end up ceding the spot to, to Spate later in the year when Spate came back, but – we got a glimpse of, of the potential uh, really from the very beginning with his ability to throw rockets downfield and make plays with his legs. And he just built on that uh, day after day, game after game, and really got to a place uh, his last two seasons, I would say, where um, he answered a lot of the questions about the consistency that he needed and the ability to go through progressions and make simple plays and, uh, you know, do all the things you want from a really high-level quarterback. So it was really something to see him, you know, uh, over those five years. And he got the extra year because of the COVID year, ended up setting a boatload of school records, uh, including uh, passing Cade McDown for the uh, all-time passing yardage. So uh, it was really uh, a pleasure to watch him 
uh, progress into, you know, what I think is legitimately an NFL level quarterback. Yeah, it seems like he you you mentioned there he went through some some earlier times that his first two years kind of tie in and then in 2020 you get the covid year. How does he matured so like like the person? Has he did he take over in 19? I know he, he you know used to mention Wilton Spade's gone. He takes over starts 11 games. Was it his program? Did he have that aura about him or did it come as he got older as as again over the course of the next 3 years where he was he was there? a good amount of time. So I was just kind of curious that second year where he has a big jump and he starts is, is he that alpha dog type of mentality from an early age or is he sort of a quiet, more uh, laid back personality? Yeah, he kind of, um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, it's interesting as I saw him progress through his college career, he kind of got back to being the guy he was when I went to visit him in Vegas, which is might sound a little counterintuitive or odd, but you know, he was kind of the big shot, the the alpha dog of that high school team. And at UCLA, even though, you know, he kind of took over the starting role and was the guy, there were so many ups and downs his first, really his first three seasons that I didn't feel that same comfort level and that same persona in him uh, really until the 2021 season. And then obviously he returned and took it to even another level his final season. But uh, yeah, I think that 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 was that was the guy that I saw back in in, in high school, kind of reemerging in the sense of his character, his comfort level, smiling, uh, being a an A A plus leader on the field uh, and around his teammates. Uh, so it really was interesting, and I'm glad that I, I did get to go see him in high school because I saw a lot of that personality uh, reemerge late in his UCLA career. That that's what's interesting to me. Did he end up? Did he end up being a team captain? I was I was curious about some of those leadership aspects. Like, you know, obviously the Browns were – what, what amazes me is how drawn the Browns were to him. I mean, think he's talented. But obviously they have Deshaun Watson for the foreseeable future. So there has to be something here that really draws the Browns in. It's been a valuable pick on him at 140. So is it – do you think it's like the type of person he is, the the leadership, the, the study? the Like, I, I guess I'm curious from your perspective – if you thought he would be picked around this range, and if you're surprised that the Browns with an established quarterback are the ones who went out and did that. Well, I'll be honest, you know, not being an NFL GM, I didn't really have any clue as to what they were thinking or where he might go. But I will say there's a lot of upside. And let's let's not forget, you know, I know he played five years at UCLA, but still, he's still relatively young in his quarterback development and trajectory. And I think that there's still a lot of untapped potential there um, you know, really the only things that were the questions at the by the end of his career was, you know, consistency. Sometimes he did still try to do a little too much and get a little bit amped up. And, uh, you know, even in the Sun Bowl, a couple of those interceptions were passes that, that hit their target. The problem was he was throwing it so fast and un- unnecessarily so sometimes that, uh, you know, would bounce off guys' chests or off their hands because he throws rockets, as we saw in the uh, – combine where I think he set a record with a 62 mile per hour pass so you know he's got an amazing arm strength and the accuracy but sometimes you know he throws it a little too hard Um, so those are the types of things he needs to work on uh, to to really make an impact at the next level Um, because his consistency really did improve over his final two seasons you know you knew pretty much what you're going to get from game to game it was just little individual plays maybe tried to force a little bit or or throw it too hard, as I just mentioned. 
you know, just just have the touch that you need to get the ball where it needs to go in, in a catchable way as opposed to throwing a rocket when that's not the best idea. Yeah, they they certainly want to develop him and potentially even, you know, see him off to another organization if that development and some of the uh, efforts when he gets a chance to shine uh, end up, you know, launching his career. So interesting player, interesting pick. I think one that will be certainly fun to track. And I'm, I'm sure, Ben, Seems like we'll be connecting at some point over the next few years. The Browns are drawn <laughs> to the UCLA program. So we appreciate your time and insight, sir. Yeah, anytime. Uh, you know, uh, I guess every two years, right? So we'll, we'll see if we're, we're back uh, talking again in, uh, in 2025. Yep, we'll stay on that schedule. We appreciate it. All right, thanks so much. Great insights on DTR from Ben. A really storied career. Interesting player. Battled through uh, an upstart issue with Chip Kelly's UCLA career there, but they have turned it around. They're doing a great job, and Chip Kelly is about as strong a recommendation for DTR out there as you will find, and the Browns obviously taking him, given their quarterback situation, says all you need to know about the young man. So uh, he's going to be an important part of this franchise, I think, for at least four years. Who knows? He could be accelerated onto the backup plan pretty quickly. That's the only real interesting sort of uh, interesting battle going on in the quarterback room this year is, is you know, will Kellen Mond be released? Obviously, is Josh Dobbs going to be the backup? And how far along and how quickly does Dorian Thompson-Robinson get where we all eventually think he's going? So not much intrigue in the room overall, but at least one little battle to pay attention to there as they will bring in three capable arms into training camp. Now we switch over to our interview on Cameron Mitchell with Louis Vicar. I think it's a really good one. Louis joined us a couple years back when Greg Newsom was selected by the Browns in the first round. So, again, Ben and now Louie are both repeat guests on this podcast as the Browns keep going back to these colleges, and it works for us. So let's get over that interview right now. Hey, guys, excited to have Louie Vacare in from WildcatReport.com. It looks like the Browns have once again gone to Northwestern for defensive back play. Cameron Mitchell at pick 142. Talk to us, Louie, if you can, a little bit about his arrival, maybe some of the recruitment of him and expectations I know he didn't play much redshirted early but seems like they got a player they really like here yeah Cam Mitchell had a uh, very good career at Northwestern you know he was a local kid from Bolingbrook in the suburbs Um, he came in he redshirted his first year and then he played quite a bit actually ended up starting several games for that uh, 2020 Big Ten West championship team that uh, you know appeared in the Big Ten championship game and wound up 10th in the country. You know, he played quite a bit on that team. And then uh, the last two years, he's been kind of their primary uh, cover corner. He's a guy that, uh, you know, it's funny because he's following Greg Newsom, the Cleveland Greg Newsom and him kind of grew up together. They played for the same seven on seven program. They were good friends. They both went to Northwestern after Newsom graduated. Mitchell wore the number two that uh, Newsom did. So they were, uh, you know, they've always been kind of linked. And now it's it's kind of ironic. They wind up for the same, playing for the same NFL team. Yeah, that's funny, the Newsom story. So that dates all the way back to high school is what you're saying. They they didn't go to the same high school, but they played maybe in that same like off-season seven-on-seven program? Correct, yeah. They went to, uh, like I said, Mitchell went to Bolingbrook and uh, Greg Newsom went to um, – Oh gosh, I'm not. I'm drawing a blank on the name. Glenn Glenbar North, and um, and then he went to IMG as a senior. So he was a little bit uh, bigger of a prospect, I would say. Uh, but yeah, they played in the same seven on seven program. They were good friends for many years. You know, two guys from the area played the position at an elite level and wound up at uh, Northwestern and now Cleveland together. 
It's very ironic. Yeah, yeah. Talk about a, a bit about how he was used in Northwestern, what they like to do with him, and and sort of how his journey went there as a, as far as the playing field goes. Yeah, he was he was a guy that uh, you know, like I said, in 2020, he eventually started. They had some injuries in the backfield, and he kind of locked down his position. He was a uh, starting corner for them. Um, played, you know, he kind of the last couple years, really, he was their number one cover corner. I would say he'd often draw the the best player on the other team. Um, he's a guy that, uh, you know, he played on the outside. He's a very good tackler, very aggressive, uh, physical guy that, uh, likes to get up, um, and, and make plays against the run. Uh, I think that's probably his greatest strength. Um, but he's a guy that, uh, you know, he only had a couple picks in his career, but he's a guy that, uh, you know, he led the team in pass breakups last year. He's a all big 10 honorable mention a couple times. So he's a guy that kind of did it all. They, they played a lot of zone. He can play man. He, he's a strong tackler. He can play in the box if you need him to. So he's, he's a pretty versatile guy that did a lot of different things for him. Talk a bit about if you can, like the person, what he's like, off the field uh was he a leadership type is he more lead by example i know browns fans are interested because greg is obviously very much a vocal guy he was you know he's all over social media and all that so i was curious if cam kind of falls into the same mold of you know these defensive backs have to be a little bit arrogant to get the job done but some some are a little bit more denzel ward's a lot more quiet about his approach i was curious if they're kind of the same personality yeah, when you compare him to Greg Newsom, you know, it's funny because he always gets compared to Greg Newsom, right? It, it's They followed each other. They wore number two. It's funny. But, um, yeah, he's much quieter than that. You know, Greg Newsom's a very outgoing guy, had a big social media presence and, you know, really had some swagger out on, on the field. Um, Cam Mitchell's not like that. He's, he's more of a lead-by-example kind of guy. Um, he's – kind of quiet you know they put him in front of the media i mean he went to big 10 media days this year and stuff like that but uh you know not a guy with a, a huge vocal presence or anything like that um you know in in a lot of ways i don't know if this is unfair or not you kind of call him greg newsom light you know because he's he doesn't have that kind of personality he wasn't a first round pick but he was still you know he got picked in the fifth round in the nfl draft which is pretty impressive um he didn't quite have newsom's length didn't i don't think he quite had his speed or playmaking ability he just was like kind of a notch below that all the way uh down the line but it's still you know I know he was he was a good college player and he's going to get his shot at the nfl as a fifth round draft pick he's still an impressive player but, uh, you know, he wasn't a Greg Newsom, and I think that's what a lot of people compare him to. Was there any surprise he skipped his senior season uh, to, to jump into the draft? I know I talked to some people at Ohio State who were a little surprised Luke, Luke Whipler, the center, did. But I, I didn't know if there was any surprise or if there was the idea that he was going to go ahead and jump after his junior year. Um, well, he, you know, he redshirted a year. And I, I think for most uh, Northwestern kids, right, it's once you get the degree. So once they got their degree, I think it's, uh, you know, that's when you see if, if guys are going to jump to the NFL or transfer or something like that, that's what happens. So I think, uh, you know, he looked at his situation, got his degree, um, you know, and nor the other thing is Northwestern has been four and 20 over the last two years. They're, this year they were one and 11, 11 game losing streak. Uh, I don't know how successful they're going to be this season either. So there's not a lot of uh, incentive to, for him to come back either, I would say. So, you know, I think it, it made a lot of sense for him in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's, 
it's interesting because they're they're putting out NFL talent as we as we saw here in this in this draft. I, obviously, the Browns were in play for anybody like Skaronsky near the top of the draft. But I'll ask you kind of as we close here: Were you surprised that Adi Adebayor slipped down the board the way he did there? I know that a lot of people, myself included, and a lot of Browns people were very into him and were pretty surprised that he ended up going up. I think of like one ten. Yeah, I, I was surprised for sure. You know, there was talk of him after the combine because he just had that outstanding, put up some outstanding numbers at the combine. There was talk about him possibly late first round, you know, and then um, certainly I thought he would go, you know, in rounds two or three, you know, after he fell out of the first and, um, you know, but he fell to the fourth. I think he was a pretty good value pick there. I think with him, though, you know, he put up such just eye popping numbers, you know, with his, uh, he, he ran the, what was it a four, four, eight or four, four, nine forty, which is amazing at 280 pounds. He, he's a tremendous athlete. Um, and, but I think they looked at the film and said, well, where's the production is the production commensurate with the athletic ability he showed. And it wasn't quite there. You know, he's not a guy that made a ton of plays. And I think maybe that's why he fell down the board a little bit, you know, that that's, that's my theory there. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a guy that's, uh, you know, versatile can play defensive end, defensive tackle. I think he's going to have a career in the NFL for sure. I know you talked about some, some program struggles, but it does seem like the NFL still finds a way to, you know, Evanston to take the talent that's there. Is there, is there anyone before we close that is uh, sort of maybe not as known on the radar for 2024 draft and is set to you think have a pretty big year? Yeah, I, I don't know if they have any NFL kind of players. I think there are some guys that uh, are set up to have pretty good years. You know, there's a guy, Coco Azuma is a safety um, that I, you know, he was hurt all of last year, but he's an outstanding athlete. I don't know if he's an NFL kind of guy. Um, and they have, uh, they got a guy, a, a young tackle that won't come out for a couple of years, Caleb Tiernan really big, long guy who's going to take over a left tackle for Skronsky this year. They like him a lot, but he's got a couple more years. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's ironic that, you know, Northwestern has struggled so much these last couple of years. And, you know, they've had first-rounders in two of the last three years now, offensive linemen, you know, uh, Rashawn Slater went in the first round. So they had two first-rounders in the 2021 draft. And now, you know, uh, a couple of years later, they, they've had – they had four guys drafted in the 2023 draft, uh, which is the most they've had since 1985, you know? So you get four guys drafted, uh, a team that went one and 11 this year. It's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. I think, uh, you know, I wonder if that's the first time that that's happened, you know, that many first rounders on a team that struggled so much. So that's something uh, Pat Fitzgerald has to get fixed. I'd say. Yeah, that is that is pretty crazy. Despite the way things have worked out, the win loss call in the NFL has still come to look for for talent that's that's doing pretty well in the league too. So we'll keep, uh, I guess the Browns will keep drafting them, and we'll keep reaching out to Louis. So look, we may we appreciate the insight, man. It's unparalleled when talking about these guys. So uh, again, thank you. Well, thanks for having me, Jake. I appreciate it. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Thanks again to Louie for now being one of the VIP repeat members of these introductory podcast series, which, again, are a lot of fun to me because you get to know so much about these guys and having repeat guys on who know sort of what the questions are and what I'm looking for from them usually brings out better answers. So I think Cam Mitchell's got a chance to be a steal like we talked about in the show. It would be a great outcome for the Browns given you know what they need in the slot, flexibility, and certainly the depth concerns that they can have when injuries mount up for some of those guys, which we have seen. Now, Greedy Williams is gone, but Denzel's missed four games or so every single year, and you just never know with smaller bodies uh, in terms of Greg Newsom moving around, doing different things. So it's just like I said, it's never a certainty. You want to have more players there who can do a bunch of different things, and that's what they found in this scenario. Lastly, we're going to get over to our interview with Josh Furlong. Josh does a great job covering Utah football. It wasn't easy to track down somebody for this one, especially when Diabate was only a one-year player there, transferred from Florida. We'll talk about that in the interview. But he's an interesting young player and certainly a talented one, and the one that the Browns are at least moderately invested in giving some money to here, about a fifth-round pick equivalency. So we'll talk to Josh about that. A lot of information here on Mahmoud Diabate. So let's jump over to that interview with Josh right now. Okay, joined by Josh Furlong, who's the Utah Utes football beat writer for KSL.com. He does a great job uh, over there, and I, it was one of the few that I found that I think would be worthy of sharing some stories and who Mahmoud Diabate, or Diabate is. I got it wrong on the air, too. I'm, I'm trying to make sure I get it right, Diabate. So uh, interesting player, right? Comes over from Florida, was heavily recruited out of college, and had some early success at Florida, 
but I'm sure was a welcome addition to a Utah team that has been putting together some really good seasons over there. Yeah, exactly. This was this was a player that came into the program uh, a year at well, I guess the the off season after uh, Devin Lloyd, who went to the NFL in the first round as their linebacker and kind of the the leader of their their defense. And so it was nice to be able to have that that ability to be able to transition. So that's kind of where Utah was looking for. They were looking for a veteran guy, a guy that had some size and, and ability. And so they found him in in Diabate. So it, it was a welcome addition for that team. And and uh, you know it was it was a good news for for Utah, especially since they played Florida that first game of the season. Yeah, that's obviously full circle moment for him. Was there a heavy process to bring him in? Did you get the vibe that? I know the transfer portal has gotten crazy over the years, but it seems like there was uh he was pretty heavily recruited around by a lot of programs. Yeah, for sure. There was, there was a lot of interest in him. I mean, he was a four-star guy coming out of uh, high school and, and, you know, it, anytime you, you're able to pick up a, a quality linebacker, uh, that's, that's a great opportunity. And so there was a lot of interest down in the SEC, you know, big 12. Um, but, but Diabate, you know, he, he wanted to be able to come to a place where he said he could win a championship and maybe contend for a national championship. And so, you know, throughout it all, you know, you know, the NIL stuff and, and, and everything else, he felt like Utah was the best destination for him. And, um, you know, he got his Pac-12 championship, so he at least got a championship and uh, he was he was happy about that. And, and that was a big reason why he wanted to be there. Yeah. Did you, you know, covering him, I know, only for a year, so a little bit of a disadvantage here, but. How is he as a person? Is he kind of an outgoing guy? Is he a little bit more reserved? I'm kind of always looking at how his teammates felt about him because, you know, that's the part of coming into a new organization and establishing yourself as a personality. You know what I mean? That's interesting. So he's got some experience of taking himself from three years at one school to a new environment entirely going from Florida to Utah. So how did he handle that adjustment? I mean, he he handled it well. He he came in uh, during last year's spring practice. He wanted to be able to be there early so that he could – uh, kind of you know acclimate to to Utah's defense. Uh, he was coming off shoulder surgery, so he couldn't actually participate, but he still wanted to be there so that he could really just kind of understand what was going on and at least have that that understanding. Um, but he's he's you know he's not he's not the the loudest guy, right? Like he's he's the guy that's the quiet thinker in the background that you know he's going to give you his feedback and he's he's really intelligent. His dad's a professor. Uh, he studies a lot. He's not one that really wants to go watch TV, right? And if he is, it's like watching CNN or something like that. He's he's definitely intellectual. He he likes to study. He likes to be able to do different things that allow him to kind of grow as an individual, not just as a football player. And so uh, he, he was always kind of that guy that, you know, you talk to him and he kind of speaks in a softer tone. He's you, you can tell that he's thinking about everything that he's, you know, he's saying and and he wants to be kind of, uh, the guy that just kind of understands everything. So it's, he's not this loud and, you know, trying to demand a lot of presence as a linebacker, but he's, he's one that commands a lot of respect just simply because of, of how intelligent he is and how uh, he kind of carries himself that way. Yeah. I certainly noted in his pre-draft run up that he was, you know, a part of a devout Muslim faith and stuff of that nature. So he will have some guys he fits in with up in Cleveland who do some similar uh, to some similar practices too. So they gave him two hundred and fifty thousand in in guarantees, which actually equates out to about a fifth round pick, a high end fifth round pick. Mm-hmm. Did in the process? I know that there were quite a few guys between Dalton Kincaid and some others going out of Utah. Was he a guy many of you thought would get drafted? Is it totally unexpected that he fell out of the the entire thing here? I'm just kind of curious at where like the, the 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 notion was that he was going into this thing and maybe not a draftable player. 
he, he was always kind of on that edge, right? I mean, I think there's there's a lot to like about Diabate, um, but there's some things that he still needs to to clean up. And so, uh, you know, the, the fact that he was, if he was a draftable player, it would be anywhere in that five to seven range, probably closer to six and seven. Um, and so the fact that he didn't get drafted and became a free agent, that, that wasn't necessarily a surprise. I think what, what changed it a little bit near the end was in his pro day where it was not like his numbers jumped off the you know, jumped off the table, but it, it was a, it was something that allowed him to be able to kind of put himself in a position where people looked at it and said, "Okay, maybe this is a guy that we could take a flyer on, right?" And so I think Pro Day helped him a little bit and allowed him to be able to say, "Okay, maybe he is a fifth round guy or somewhere in that range." Um, but he was he was always kind of on that fringe, and I think quite honestly, where he's at, like you mentioned, you know, being able to get that that little bit of guaranteed compared to maybe what some of these other guys are getting that allows him to be able to be flexible and be able to do what he wants. So I think it, it's a good destination for him. It's a great opportunity for him to, to really just kind of have what he needs. So um, I, you know, I, I don't think he was under the impression that he was going to be drafted high or anything like that. So it was, it was kind of a fitting range where he was probably at. Yeah. I know he played that Mac linebacker role there in, in, in Morgan Scally's defense. Did, did they feel like he did a good job replacing Devin Lloyd? Uh, I mean, it's, it, it's hard to be able to come in and replace a, a first round guy, you know, a guy that is, had, had developed through the program, uh, you know, really was that leader of that defense. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, Diabate, he came in and he, you know, he plays Florida and then he, he's injured for two games. And so he's out. And so there was, there was this learning curve of him trying to be able to acclimate into that defense. Uh, he got beat quite often. Um, he's not a great cover guy. He's a guy that can, you know, rush really well and he's able to hit the tackle or hit the, the gaps really well and, and really try to make some, uh, his impact behind the line of scrimmage. Um, but once you got him into the open field, that kind of, that kind of exposed some of his flaws and some of the things, his, his ability to be able to go sideline to sideline. And so it, it you know, it, it took a while for him to be able to develop into a better player as the season progressed. And I don't know how much of that was, you know, Florida really didn't help him develop into the player that he could be because I think he was really starting to hit his stride. I think, you know, the more he got into Morgan's defense and, and the ability that he was able to showcase, the better he got. Near the end of the season, almost every single tackle at least felt like Diabate had some sort of hand in it, right? That doesn't mean he still didn't get beat or he wasn't able to, you know, he still allowed tackles to kind of blow by him a little bit. But this was this was a scenario where he was growing as the season progressed and then his you know eligibility pretty much expired he technically could have come for one more year but you know he was never really intent on going out for that long so it, it it's hard to replace a devin lloyd and and being able to do that but i think he did especially going late into the season where uh where utah needed him the most yeah he is a i think a, a guy the browns see as a sort of sub package pass rusher type who can do it for maybe that sort of Sam linebacker role closer mm-hmm. to the line of scrimmage and playing as forward as possible. And, and especially because of the way he runs a guy who can help in special teams. So I, I really do think this is a guy I know I typically only cover guys that get drafted, but uh, the UDFAs that I think they really, really go after hard are worth talking about. So I do think uh, in the grand scheme between the special teams and the ability to rush from unique spots and Jim Schwartz defense that Diabate has a real chance to make this roster. So great, great insight from Josh. Uh, remind everybody, Josh, if they want to follow more uh, for Utah coverage and stuff, where they can find you at. Yeah, you can read me at KSL.com or you can just follow me on Twitter at JFERKSL. I'm I'm happy to chat about anything. I'm open to anything. So, uh, you know, I appreciate your time. We appreciate it, man. We hope it ends up in a 
long Cleveland and uh, you know Utah connection here between uh, Diabate. So so pretty pumped to have him and, and great insights from you, Josh. We appreciate your time. Thank you. All right, that's a wrap for today, everybody. Thanks to the three reporters who stopped by and gave us their time: Ben Bolts, Josh Furlong, Louis Vicar. Like I said, giving us uh, all of their time and insights on the players that the Browns have brought in. So well worth it. I hope you guys are enjoying the introduction series. Like I said, one more opportunity to do these is we'll check out Isaiah McGuire and we'll obviously also try to get with Lonnie Phelps, somebody who knows him well. I think there's a lot of stuff to learn from these guys, so I don't want to skip that. So we hopefully we'll get that out later this week. Should have some guests on this week as well. Start to look at the schedule, perhaps coming out Thursday. Should be some still exciting NFL news as now there's a whole bunch of changing landscapes and coverage of the NFL where games are sort of less Fox and CBS, AFC, NFC affiliated, more bidding war. You can see any game on any network and no team has promised primetime games. So that'll be interesting to see where the Browns land in that equation. So listen, thanks for joining today. Continue to check out the OBR. We have quarterback week. There'll be plenty of stuff up. I'll have a midday Siake Ika uh, film room available for you at the OBR. So check that out. If you're interested in that sort of thing, like I said, that should be up around lunchtime. And then we'll continue to look at quarterbacks this week. And then we'll probably, since it's quarterback week, hit on DTR with the film room at some point as well. So, like I said, thanks for being here, guys. Uh, always appreciate you stopping by. Have a fantastic Tuesday. And go Browns. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.